Today is part two of our series on tefillah. We began uh, last week, and as I mentioned at the time, perhaps there should be a time, and there will be a time in the future, in which we will have a uh, shear specifically dealing with the practical issues of the halachos, of when is a woman obligated to daven, what is she obligated to daven, but I thought it would be uh, more important as a foundational uh, series of shurim to discuss not only our appreciation of the importance of davening, but also practical tips on how to daven better. And therefore, for those who didn't hear last week's shir, that will in no way impinge you uh, appreciating, hopefully, and benefiting from this week's shir, although I really highly recommend it. The audio is on YU Torah. And we spoke about what I think is a really important topic, uh, and that was why is it that we have a fixed text? I think we all acknowledge that one of the real impediments to kavana for ourselves, for our children, uh, is the fact that it seems to be so repetitive every day, every week, every year, over and over again, the same words, the same things. And the fact that uh, that being the case, my thesis of last week's year was not that we should be in denial about that. That on the contrary, I presume that Chazal were quite aware of that. And the fact that they uh, nevertheless gave us a fixed text was because there are all sorts of benefits of the fixed text that are even overwhelming and supersede the inherent downsides and deficiencies. And we suggested and we shared four or five different ideas uh, last week. Today's year, as I promised you, would be not the appreciating davening, but the improving our davening. And specifically through you know, some common sense, some experience, but also very much text-based, uh, I wanted to share with you uh, a number of practical suggestions. Every one of these theoretically could help our davening, uh, some will resonate more with you and some will resonate more with somebody else. Uh, and the truth is, if we could combine even a few of these, I think it would be amazing. I have a friend, uh, does not live in our neighborhood, so don't try to figure out exactly who he is. It's not uh, someone who lives right here in uh, our part of town. But I have a friend who is uh, very sensitive to his weight. Uh, and is very much, Alana knows who I'm talking about, but hopefully no one else does. Uh, he's obsessed with dieting and always talking about dieting. And one of his... Uh, Funny, but I thought always thought uh, impressive observations was, you know, there's always different gimmicks. You know, is it going to be the low-carb diet, the keto diet, you know, intermittent fasting, all the different things. So one of his stars was, he says, if you could do something, or you come up with a pattern where you're hitting like two of them. He goes, who knows which one's right? If you're hitting like two of them, like I'm intermediate eating, you know, non, you know, he says that you're maximizing, you know, your odds, you know, in a significant way. So I would say in a similar way when it comes to uh, davening here, we're going to mention quite a few different uh, ideas, uh, but the truth is any one of them, even if you just take one of these, I think it could be helpful. If we could hit two or three, every one of us, I think it actually could have exponential benefit. But we're actually going to have far more than two or three suggestions. Again, each one of these stand on their own. They're not connected. Uh, so whichever ones you feel you can actualize, whichever ones you feel you can implement, I have no doubt that if we can be consistent with any of these suggestions, it will really, really help us. So uh, before we get to the mamish mamish practical, I just thought for chizuk, it would be good to start off with the fact that uh, the Rishonim, and I gave you two examples in source number one and source number two from the Chovas Halavavos, which is perhaps a, a more familiar work to us. And then in, say, in source number two is the Orchos Chaim that was written by the Rosh. It was kind of one of the early medieval uh, Musar Svarim. And they both point out in very, I think, very gripping language the importance of kavana. Uh, and I, I say this not only to make the ideological point that kavana is important, but also to give us the impetus to fight for this. In other words, it's very, very easy, uh, you know, especially considering how challenging kavana is, that a person could easily rationalize to him or herself, you know, listen, I david, right? I set aside the time, I'm a hero. Like, you know, I got 10 things going on, and like, is it really important that I have to push forward to even do more than just daven or just show up to shul? But like... And the answer is actually yes. And to just give you two examples or illustrations of that formulation, if you take a look on the first source, the Chovos Levavos has a very famous, a very powerful moshal. He says that davening, the words are like the body, the guf, but kavana is like the neshama. And basically he's saying is, if you daven without kavana, you're a zombie. Right? You have the body of tefillah, but it's lifeless. No one wants to be lifeless. Or he says, alternatively, klipa below lave, right? It's like you have the shell, but you don't have the fruit. You got the orange peel, you know, unless you're like that 1% of people who likes the orange peels. You know, I know they make a huge deal about them on Pesach. Chocolate-covered orange peel, wow. Why is that wow? And why has that become a Pesach thing? Uh, but again, there's like that 1% of population who must buy them every year. But for the rest of us, we know like it's not the peel, it's the fruit inside. 
The word says the Chovas uh, Halavavos, that's the body without the soul or the, the peel, so to speak, without the, uh, without the fruit. That's what it means to daven without kavana. And the Orchas Chaim, the Russian source number two, uh, I think gives us an even powerful, more powerful marshal for many of us, and that is to just role, role play in your own mind. Davening without kavana, he says, is like bincha yedaber lecha libo. If your child was coming to you in a very, you know, not just like randomly, you know, can I have five shekel or can I go to Plony's house to play? But like a really important thing, and I would say in particular this is easier for us, to those of us who have older children to relate to because obviously the older you get, the more important things are in life. But even if it could be a younger child who has to talk to you about something really bad that they did and they want to apologize or they're asking for something really, really important, you know, they really want to go to camp for the summer or some big thing. And your child was talking to you completely distracted. Did not have his or her heart in it whatsoever, even as they're pleading for this huge thing. Let alone if they had to apologize to you or, you know, you're trying to have a real serious conversation with them. And they were totally distracted. Says the Rosh, Hello, wouldn't you be upset? Wouldn't you be offended? Wouldn't it be considered a chutzpah? The answer is obviously yes. Again, the marshal, you know, you know, even if you don't want to think, you know, I think he ch- picked children, which is fine, but I think, you know, if it would be your spouse, you'd feel the same way, right? Again, I don't mean like the random, like, how was your day, and like, you already think about something else before the person answered, right? We're all guilty of that sometimes. Um, okay, fine, I am. But anyway, um, but maybe other people too. But, um, but I'm saying, but if you try to have like a really important conversation with your spouse, and they were saying all the right things, as if they were reading off the Hallmark card, but you knew their mind was in somewhere else, right? You'd be furious. It's worse than it's almost worse than them not saying the words. So says the rush, that's davening without kavana. You're talking to Hashem about the most important things, and you, you can't even like put your heart into it? You're distracted? So it really, really, really is important. On the other hand, source number three points out that it's also not an old, it's not a new problem. And I guess this is a little bit of a chizok in terms of we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't think we're the worst person or we're the only people, we're not even the only generation. It's true that perhaps we have less attention span than previous generations. I think that's, I see, I feel it in my own life. You know, I've only spanned, I don't know, you know, 40 plus years. I, I don't have as much, you know, concentration as I used to. And I don't think that's just because of age. Obviously, the technology has not helped. Our children who are growing up in this, right, there's no question it's a challenge that's unique. But it's, in the end of the day, it's not a new problem. It's not a technology problem. The Gemara itself uh, acknowledges that in source number three, in which the Gemara says that there are a number of Averos, a very small number of Averos, where a person has struggles with them literally every single day. They're not pambi, as we would say. They are regular problems. What are those? Yetzahara, right? Everyone has their temptations. You don't just like have a day with no Yitzhahara. That's there every single day. That's obviously the more broad point. You know, here with the, with the um, Gemara calls here who are Vera, the thoughts. We don't always do Averos, but that it's in our mind. Number two, Iyun Tfila, and number three, Lashon Hara. So this is not the, you may have a different series on Lashon Hara, but obviously Lashon Hara is a very challenging thing. It's not new uh, as a problem. But the middle one that the Gemara quotes is Iyun Tfila, which Tosos explains means davening with Kavana. It doesn't mean davening. Davening people do. Some people do more, some people do less. Some people go to Minyan, they don't go to Minyan, they go to Shul, they don't go to Shul. Right? They have good reasons, they don't have good excuses. But people daven. But to daven without Kavana, it's not a new problem, it's not a you problem. It is an old problem, it is a human problem. And I think that that gives us, uh, I think at least, uh, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, to me at least, chizuk. And last but not least, as a kind of introductory point, I th- saw this last night for the first time, and actually, and I was very taken by this, uh, and I think it's maybe obvious, but it was good to see this in a more uh, ancient source, in source number four, in the Sefer HaChasidim, he points out that there's no magic bullet, and there's no secret weapon that's going to work for every one of us. Each of us are different, we each have our own challenges, and therefore the solution, which may have helped for you, and that's only going to help for me and vice versa. There's no right way and there's no wrong way in this sense. Says the Sefer Chassidim, source number four. Anything that you think of for yourself, you come up with your, on your own, you heard it in the shir, it doesn't, have to be, it doesn't matter if it's my idea or your idea. The point is, you have an idea that anything that can work, you should, you should use. Everything depends on the person. There's no right way and there's no wrong way. There's davening with and without kavana. That, that's right and wrong. But how to get to the davening with kavana, 
There's no right way and there's no wrong way. Hakol lefi lev ha'adam. And that's why I felt it was so important to give, I guess, somebody maybe can keep track. I didn't actually keep track of how many different suggestions we're going to have. Seven, eight, nine different possible suggestions. And my point being is that if we can grab two of them, let alone three of them, and implement them, I think the improvement can be exponential. But the truth is, even if we take only one of these, I think uh, it can be really, really exponential. So let's, let's get started. Okay, what can we do, each, every, each and every one of us? Again, there's, you know, there are various categories of people on the Zoom or uh, here in person. There are people who have lots of little kids afoot in the house. There are people who have only older kids in the, in the house. There are people who have no little kids or any kids in the house at the moment. We have people at different stages of life. We have, I guess, the, I assume the nature of this is that for most of the women here do not have full-time jobs, or at least not full-time jobs on Wednesdays because they're here. Uh, but some women are working. Some women are full-time home, you know, homemaking and mothering, which is obviously, as we all know, can be harder even than having a job outside the house. And a lot of people are, have jobs and are full-time homemaking. But we have a lot of people who are dealing with all sorts of struggles and time pressures. So what can we do to not only carve out the, the time, but to hopefully maximize the time and the effect and the benefit uh, of our tefillah? So the first suggestion I want to point out, uh, which again, all these are really obvious once you say them, but it's still good for us to say them and to think about how we can implement them. The first thing I'd like to suggest is uh, an idea which I'm sure other sources mention, but I share it with you from source number five, the Mikhtab Me'aliyahu, Rav Dessler. And he points out the following in source number five. This is actually in the introduction to the uh, Mikhtam Eliyahu, uh, which was written by one of his students. But as you see on the second line of source number five with the quotation marks, they quote uh, their Rebbe. Now, I assume he wasn't speaking in Hebrew. I'm not sure where they heard him, but it's most likely in Yiddish. But they, this is what they attribute as a quote to him. But what's the issue that they're addressing here in source number five? It says that very often, it happens in yeshiva, but it could happen you know, for any one of us when it comes to our davening or any other area of our life, in which people are thinking about madregot ramot. They have big, big dreams. They're going to be the best learner, the best davener, the biggest superstar, the best whatever. Big, big dreams. Says the Mechta uh, Meliyah, sometimes, again, I've seen this in, 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 with Yeshiva guys for sure. Some people, you know, they hear about, it could be Avram and Yaakov, or the Avos could be the Chavetz Chaim. I, I read a certain Gadol book, and I, or I saw something, and I want to be like, right, huge, huge outsized goals, which are, in Yanim Niskavim, you know, incredible, overwhelming things they found it in the Zohar or some other text. So, what would have Dessler say to people who had these big, big dreams? So he says here in the quote, Slow down. If you'd have these massive goals, you're almost guaranteed to fail. Rather, he says, where it's underlined, Trichim Laavor Al Hamadrega Hakrova Lanu. Small steps. That's the first point. If you, again, I speak to myself, but you, this is very much the capital Y here. I'm not speaking to anyone in personally. If you have struggled with davening your whole life, or for as long as you can remember, or since you had kids, or since whenever, for you to walk out of today's shear and decide from now on, I am going to be able to have a 25-minute chakras every day, and I am going to have incredible kavana, and I am going to be, you know, in, in hugely outsized goals. It's a mistake. Years and years and years of struggling with something, it's not going to just become perfect overnight. It's silly. It's unrealistic. You have to have, where am I, an honest self-assessment? And then, what is a very small not easy, but small, but attainable next step. And then focus on that. For how many days, how many weeks until you're ready for the next step? I don't know, I'm not an expert. And the answer is probably there's no one right, one right answer. But the first and most important thing is don't close your eyes and imagine whether it's your most inspiring rabbi, your most inspiring rabbitson, or how you were when you were in seminary, or how you were when you were single and couldn't get married, or how you were when you were having trouble conceiving, or when any, some other point in your life when you really, really had, one of your children, Rahman was sick, or a parent was sick, or whatever. Don't just imagine that period of your life, whenever that was, where you were a great daughter. Okay, that's it. Tomorrow I'm going to do that. It's not going to happen. And if it happens tomorrow, it's not going to happen the day after that. And then you get deflated, and then it's over. You need to take much more small and concrete steps. In this vein, it wasn't about davening per se, although actually I think it might have been, but I've heard, if any of you are familiar with Rabbi Reisman, 
from Flatbush, from Tarvadas. I'm a huge, huge fan of his in general, not only because he's a major Tamachacham, but also very, very common sense musr and advice. And I, I, I couldn't find it last night, but I'm, I'm on a WhatsApp group um, of his Divrei Torah. And usually it's just links to like audio, but every now and then they, they, they post a video clip. Um, and just recently, one of his famous Navi Shurim on Motzei Shabbos, he was making this point, uh, and he gave the example, I'm, not, I, I'm trying to remember what, I think it was about davening actually. But he, you know, he, he made this point, he even talked about, oh no, sorry, once he was talking about benching, I think, and how he was really trying to improve, he made a Kabbalah on himself the next year, this coming year, he's going to try to improve benching. But I, he, he, again, he had some complex formula, but it was basically his point was like incredibly modest. Like, I'm going to have Kavana in no Delacha, at least three of the times I bench each week. And I don't know, let's say that he benches, you know, he, it sounded like he must wash for a lot of meals. You know, ten times, he wasn't even saying every brach and benching, and he wasn't saying every time he benched. He had, I can't remember exactly the point, but he had incredibly modest small goal. And then because he's so honest and so real and authentic, he said, I think like half the time I met that goal. Like this is one of the most prominent Roshivas in America. So if he could be that honest and realistic about himself, I think it's a good muster for all of us, and I think it's really, really important. So wherever you are, first step is self, honest self-assessment, and that's true about everything in life. If you're not honest about who you are and what your weaknesses are, you can never improve. But the next thing is, okay, pick something that's small and concrete. If you want to focus on Shemon Esrei, it's okay, for now, for this week or this month, I'm focusing on one bracha, and then the next time, another bracha. Or maybe you're really good at chakras, but not, you're, you're not good at mincha, so, or I, 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 I sometimes don't have time to daven mincha, I don't remember to daven mincha, so I'm going to try to do that X times a day. Something small, something concrete, not just this huge, amazing thing, because that is almost definitely not going to happen, and not going to be successful. That's number one. Number two, source number six, for those of you who have the sheet, uh, incredible insight. I think I might have shared this once uh, with the men in the shul. I don't remember, but it's an incredible insight. Again, it sound it'll sound so obvious once it's once you hear it. But I think it's a common mistake that's being diagnosed. And this is from one of the very prominent uh, Svardi poskim, the Kafachayim, and he points out as follows: Source number six. Let's say a person is davening, and wouldn't you know it? You're distracted. And you, last thing you remember was, I don't know, Atakadosh, and now all of a sudden you're on Barech Aleinu. So the good news is you re-entered consciousness. Right? Sometimes you don't re- do that until you're, you know, you're eight to, sometimes it's three steps back that wake us up. But sometimes you're still in the middle of davening and you realize you just took a break for a little bit. What happens next? So says the Kafachayim, what you shouldn't do, but obviously we can deduce from what him telling us we shouldn't do, it's a common problem that often people do, which is, what happens? People feel bad about themselves. Or they say, you know what, okay, another one that I didn't have Kavana with. And then you just basically go on autopilot for the rest. You know, hopefully tomorrow will be better. Hopefully Mincha will be better. Hopefully whatever will be better. Says so that's a massive, massive mistake. As we would say, half a loaf is better than none. Okay, so you missed the last three brachos. So you missed the last seven brachos. So have kavanah from here till the end. It's not over because it didn't start well. You can always salvage something. As long as, you know, as long as you're in the game, as long as you're in davening. When davening's over, davening was over. But as long as you're still there, what's the difference that you didn't do well the first X amount of time? You could do it. And he gives a very, very powerful mushal. He says, somebody who was, you know, tasked with carrying, you know, these very precious jewels. Imagine someone in the Bursa or in New York in the Diamond District or something like that. And they're carrying these incredible, you know, it's so, you know, they have these 10 diamonds or precious jewels they're carrying in a sack. And then what happens, you know, the person is going to be concentrating, you would think, so much. And what happens? All of a sudden he notices, he stops, he realizes, oh my gosh, I lost one. Right, so that would be like a heart attack. But says the Kafachayim, what would a person do? Oh my gosh, I, was, I had to bring all ten. I was trying to concentrate, and then I got distracted, and now I lost one. Okay, I guess the rest of the trip I won't pay attention, and I'll lose the rest of them. That would be absurd. Right? The only thing worse than coming with nine is coming with eight. Or coming with seven. Right? If you, if you don't have all of them, at least get as many as you can. It's obvious. We, we, we understand this intuitively in every other aspect of our life. It's not all or nothing. And therefore since inevitably we're going to fall short, we need to remind ourselves that even when we fall short, okay, but for whatever part of davening I can concentrate, it's not nothing. Anything uh, is valuable, and anything, even a little bit, as I say, a half a loaf is better than none. So that's point number two. Number three, 
This I also saw for the first time last night. Uh, this is one of the things I love about this year. I learned so much. I hope you guys benefit a little bit, but I really gain a lot from this year, so thank you. Um, source number seven um, is from one of the later chapters in Rav Cook's famous work, Orot HaTshuva. So as the name implies, this is one of the very, very famous, one of the mass, modern masterpieces uh, of Torah literature on Tshuva, which is what it's primarily about. Um, those of you who are interested, uh, Rav Moshe Weinberger, famously from Woodmere from Eish Kodesh, so he for years gave shurim on the Sefer. There's hundreds, uh, I think, of video, of audio, over a hundred audio shurim that he gave uh, on Oros HaTshuva, which a number of years ago, he actually turned them to three-volume work. With, because Rav Cook's Hebrew is often very difficult, uh, very uh, so beautiful, beautiful English interpretations, and his own Rabbi, you know, Rabbi Weinberger uh, riffs, which are always beautiful in their own right, based on Rav Cook. Um, anyway, it's a very, very important, uh, important work. Uh, depending on where your children are in school, uh, if they're in certain schools, they definitely heard of this and have learned it, and if they are in other schools, they definitely will never. Uh, but in our shul, we bridge lots of people, so I'm telling you, it's, an, it's a wonderful safer. So um, in Orona Chuva, in source, num- in source number seven, Rav Cook actually she addresses tefillah. It's a very small paragraph. And he says, People are lacking, they are deficient in their emuna in tefillah. But here's the, here's the great point. Why are they uh, lacking in their emuna in davening? Right? You could imagine a person, and there are, obviously are such people, it's just not who he's addressing. There are people who don't daven because they don't believe in it. Hello? Right? Nobody's listening. Come on. Come on. God doesn't care. God doesn't listen. Or there is no God. I mean, chas shalom, right? A lot of ways you could be a kofar, right? You think you could be a half kofar, a three-quarters kofar. A lot of things you could deny. Says Rav Cook, again, at least when talking to us, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. The lack of amuna is not in God or lack of amuna in hashkacha. El b'bnei daka'ut libo meirov we don't believe in ourselves. We think we're unworthy of talking to Hashem. I have a problem, but why would Hashem care about me? Right? I'm a nobody. Ich bin a gornish. Hashem's going to care about me, and especially if we, you know, I know, maybe no one else knows, but I know what I did yesterday. I know what I didn't do two days ago. Now, with that same mouth, I'm going to ask Hashem, who am I? What am I? There's no way Hashem's going to listen. There's a certain depression, a certain security, a certain lack of self-confidence. So, I think this is also something that's really, really uh, insightful. Um, there's a lot of overlap. Actually, Rav Weinberger talks about this a lot also between Rav Cook and Rav Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin. Rav, one of Rav Tzadok HaKohen was one of the, of course, the most famous Hasidic thinkers. So Rav Tzadok has this very famous uh, line where he says, Kashem she'adam chayev lahamin ba'ashem yizbarach, kach chayev lahamin ba'atzmo. Just like there's a mitzvah of moon and Hashem, there's an equally important mitzvah of believing in yourself. And there's something incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important about that. When we don't think we're worthy, when we don't, the Kedushas Levi of Levi Zagabraditchev speaks about this on Parshas Noach. Maybe that's why Noach didn't daven to save the world. Everyone says, oh, Noach wasn't like Avram. You know, why, why, why didn't he try to fight? Avram fought to save Sodom. He didn't fight to save the world. So people who say he didn't care, he was a tzaddik in pelts, he was just selfish. Says with Levi, he's like, no. To daven with Hashem, to fight with Hashem over something? Do you have any idea how much self confidence you'd have to have to do that? Noach was insecure, he didn't believe in himself. So there's a lot, a lot of Torah on that point. That could be its own shear on self-confidence and how, what role that plays in, in Yiddishkeit. But here of Cook is saying, specifically when it comes to davening, if we wanted to, I'll just let, let, let's flip this in, in sense of positive advice. The, one of the most basic things we have to believe in is only the power of tefillah, but our ability to daven. Again, I, it could be that this is not relevant to anyone listening in person on Zoom or who will hear the recording. I don't know. But if you're honest with yourself, as I said, the first step is always the, the self-assessment. I think there's no question that he's on to something, that for some percentage of people, the most ba- the, you, know, you, could, you, could, you could have transliterated, you could highlight words, you could translate, things that we should, we're going to talk about a little bit later in this year. But if your problem is this, if the, you know, then none of those things are going to help. There may be band-aids and not even. Because the problem is much deeper. You have to work on yourself to make sure you believe not only in the power of tefillah, but in your ability to talk to Hashem. And if for whatever reason you have a lack of faith in yourself and your ability to daven, 
So that actually has to be worked on much more than finding a quiet place or getting a translated sitter. Those are all very important things we're going to get to. But this is the reason I'm saying this towards the beginning of this year is because this is something that's much deeper and more profound. And I think, again, if, 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 if you don't even understand what he's talking about, then that's great. You're blessed. But if this does speak to you, then that's something I think that a person really should think about because if you could work on that, I think it would help a person uh, a huge amount. But the next point I want to make in sources number eight and number nine uh, are almost, I wouldn't say the mirror, not the opposite of this, but what I alluded to in something similar, which is uh, that not so much that we don't believe in davening, but a lot of people don't appreciate how incredible davening is and specifically the privilege that we have to daven. So the Gemara, for example, in source number eight, talks about how there are a lot of bad attitudes a person could bring. And it's not just, the Gemara is not just talking about practically and pragmatically how to daven well. The Gemara is saying it's inappropriate. You should not be davening if you're upset. Um, again, it doesn't mean like because you're sitting at a hospital bed and your loved one's uh, dying. But the point is, in general, a person has to have the right attitude. Come, right? The Gemara also says a person can have nevua if they weren't happy. There's a certain uh, emotional happiness that is more conducive to spiritual uh, attainment. So this Gemara is one of those famous sources. And not uh, laziness, you just kind of roll into there because that's what everyone else is doing. Right? You can't daven well if you're schmoozing with other people. You shouldn't be, you know, stomp flipping and gilgling, joking around with your friends, and then in between jokes, you're also davening. None of these things are appropriate. But then the Gemara says, what sh- all the no, 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 no. What's the answer to all those? What's the answer to everything? What should you do? You should have a certain joy, not about life in general. There are happy people and you know pessimistic people, right? There's some people who you know live with the glass half full. Other people live with the glass half empty. And then there's others. If I can paraphrase one of my uncles, who likes to talk about the glass not being half full but over overflowing with all the blessings of life, right? But certain people can see it. Certain people can't. But this is a very specific uh, di- uh, you know prescription. Not just simcha sachayim, simcha shel mitzvah. The idea of not only enjoying, but I think as Masil Shisharim says in source number nine, the truest simcha shel mitzvah comes from an appreciation of what the schus, what a privilege it is to do the mitzvah. So that's what the Masil Shisharim here says in source number nine. He quotes the famous pasuk of Ibdu as Hashem b'simcha, and then he quotes a medrash. Keshetia omid lefanai lihispalel. That Hashem says specifically about davening. Again, it could be about anything, but specifically about davening says the medrash. If you're standing in front of me to daven, think about how you should be so happy because you realize you have the privilege of davening to God. Not to, you know, the assistant secretary who handles the scheduling on the third Wednesday bureaucrat who will, you know, ignore your email and the person working with Sprat Pinim when you sent 18 messages, please tell my parents get into Israel and they just, you know, hit reject, you know, not that person. You don't have to worry about that person. We had this um, before my daughter's wedding. We were trying, you know, that was my daughter got married exactly in the Tukufa, where we didn't have such such limits in the end on how many people could be at the wedding, although we thought we were going to, but eventually we didn't. But we had limits on only first degree blood relatives. You know, that was that was that very limited people could come in. So I had parents and two sisters who I was trying to get in, and waiting. You know, first all the emails and no response, then going to the Beit Shemesh throughout our Pinim and hours and hours and hours, and that was in that twelve. You know, we had the rocket. And even though they hadn't sent any announcements, they just didn't show up because it happens to be the It's not the Morgan, it's not rocket proof. I can't blame them per se for not wanting to be there, although I didn't think exactly Beit Shemesh was the hot spot. It wasn't it's not exactly stay wrote. But okay, they decided that they're scared. But the chutzpah was they didn't tell anybody. As you remember from that Tukufav, anyone had dealt with this, people were there from five in the morning waiting to get one of the 20 spots. And they never showed up, not a sign, not nothing. Then I finally got to a person the third time I went. It was crazy. Could you imagine if it was, we had to dive into somebody like that every day? You go out of your mind. I mean, I couldn't be religious if that's what I thought davening was. That's a disaster, right? It's like, how do you have those? People talk about, you know, the bad things in the world. You know, how can you believe in God? You know, but you, you look around what people do. How, how, the bigger question is, uh, I think it was Eliezer Brookwitz or Eli Wiesel, or a lot of many people have made this point. The bigger problem in the last uh, century was not how can you believe in God, but how can you believe in man? Right? So here, if that's who you were davening to, you know, the traffic court judge or the policeman who's yelling at you for no reason, like, then we'd have no hope. But that's not who you're davening to, you get to daven to Akadosh Baruch Hu. Not one of his assistants, but 
directly to the king of kings. What is chus? And if a person would realize that and remind ourselves of that, I guess is the main point, says the Mesil Shisharim, Libo Shil Adam Allah, you'd be filled with happiness. Unbelievable, what a privilege. So just to make this practical, what I would suggest, and we'll discuss the, the broader point uh, very, very soon of, um, of preparation. But what I would suggest, if nothing else, is just a split second, it, it could be more, but it doesn't have to be necessarily, of just reminding ourselves of this point before we daven. Like, that's incredible. We take it for granted. Again, like, just like our kids take for granted all the things we give them, because we always give them, it's just human nature. Right, if you only gave your child something, you know, once in whatever, so that's they very much appreciate. But dafka the things that we do every day for them, which are, of course, the most important things. Right, that people don't appreciate. That's human nature. But wouldn't we want them to appreciate? Of course, we'd want them to appreciate. And wouldn't they be different if they did appreciate? Yes, of course. So it's the same thing with our davening. The very fact that we've always davened, and maybe our first memories of our father or our mother were schlepping us to shul when we didn't want to, so that we have these you know, deep-seated, you know, even sometimes negative associations, which is unfortunate sometimes, or we had a teacher in school who yelled at us because we weren't davening well, or we were talking, whatever those deep psychological reasons are. But even if without the negative baggage, just simply that we were doing it so long, we don't appreciate it. It's human nature. So if we proact, I don't think this will happen automatically. I'm not critical, in, in this point, I wouldn't be too critical of myself or anyone else for not thinking about this every day. Because I think it's, we're too used to it. But the answer is not just to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, well, it's not such a big deal because we're used to it. The answer is to just spend a moment, I, I think this, again, for certain people, this alone might be a game changer. Just remind yourself of what a privilege that is and how fortunate we are. Specifically, even just to get to Davin. Wow, that's incredible. And we're not diving stam, we're diving to Hashem. Okay, that is, I lost count already, but that's yet another, I think, possible suggestion. If you look at the bottom, source number 10, I want to get to the point where I was just alluding to before, and this I think is incredibly important, but admittedly super hard, especially for those of us uh, who have you know, young children and or families and maybe jobs also outside the house, uh, and that is time. But I think a uh, huge thing, huge, huge thing, and again, it's not me, it was ready in Chazal, and the Rambam says in source number 10, is the need to prepare for davening. If the first time you think about davening each day is when you open up the sitter and say, Baruch or Modeh, or whatever it is, the first words out of your mouth, you're already at a disadvantage. Says the Rambam, source number 10, he talks about what is kavana. We'll get back to the first thing he says in a moment. But see where it's underlined. Source number 10, if you have it. And then the A person first has to prepare a little bit. Again, the Gemara, which he's quoting from, talks about a sha'achas. And the top of the chasidim rishonim, you know, an hour of meditation, whatever. You know, halavai, for those who can do it. But um, the Shulchan Aruch actually borrows the language of the Rambam, and I think it's very effective and very much more realistic for us. Even if it's only a moment. Leishev ma'at. You know, again, the more a person could do this and really think about, I'm about to daven, again, throw in the thing we said before, what a privilege, what a gift. Uh, and even before you actually daven, I have a grandparent who may be sick, uh, my, me or my spouse are struggling with parnasa, one of our kids are unhappy. You know, think about the things I'm going to daven. If, even in 30 seconds or a minute, I think that can make a massive, massive uh, improvement in our davening. And the fact that the Rambam you know, tells us it doesn't have to be... Again, the longer you could do it, the better. But I think the very fact that we did it would totally reorient. It wouldn't just be rote anymore. We thought about it. We prepared. Again, just a little bit. Just, you know, the second you pull the sitter off the shelf, don't open it. I would even say to you, again, if we're not talking about like Shemon Esrei or Shema or something, better to say some small amount of davening less than you were going to. Because I only have 10 minutes, or I only have 7 minutes, or whatever I have. Say less, but do this first. I don't mean don't say all Shemon Esrei, but if we're talking about some other part of davening. If a person says, if I have to do this, I can't say Ashrei. This is definitely more important than Ashrei. Right? Just take a 30 seconds or a minute before you start davening, to reorient yourself. 
I think that the benefits are intuitive and obvious and I think can really, really be powerful. But I want to share with you something in source number 11 uh, that I saw from the remarkable Sefer. Some of you may have familiar with this Sefer. It, it may be, depending on where or when you went to seminary, this might have been a very popular Sefer, um, called Sh'arim Batfila. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of it. Okay, at least one person is familiar with it. Rav Pincus who was an American-born Rav, okay, at least two people, uh, American-born Rav, who was at Ofakim, he was a Rav somewhere in one of the Yishuvim down south, which is not a typical thing for an American Haredi Rav to then become a Rav of somewhere down south in Israel, but he was. Anyway, I have to admit, when I was in Smicha, I had never heard of him, until Rahman al-Tzlan, Nebuch, 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 he and his wife, and I believe it was one child, all died in a horrible car accident. He used to give shurim all over Israel, and it was right before Pesach. He'd given some shir late at night, and he was with his wife and some of his kids, and they were driving home, and unfortunately he fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible tragedy. Um, when I heard about it, I was like shaken, and then I realized I was living in Riverdale at the time. Um, one of their baim of Tell's Riverdale was his brother-in-law. Maybe your husband or your in-laws remember Rabbi Swordloff who lives in Riverdale. So Rabbi Swordloff was Rabbi Pincus's brother-in-law. Um, anyway, we helped raise money for the family. Anyway, we're now one of his children. Anyway, interestingly, in terms of his svarim, he's actually become much more popular since he passed away. Because he had thousands, he had two svarim that he published, I think, or three maybe in his lifetime. But had, there were thousands of hours of tapes of recording of these you know, shmuzas that he was giving all over Israel. And they've turned on this to many, now there's many, many volumes of what they call Nefesh Shemshon. That's sort of Pincus. But Sharm Betfila was one of the things that made him famous in his lifetime. He also has a book about Shabbos called Shabbos Malkus. So those are the two famous books he wrote in his lifetime. So one of them is about davening, Sharm Betfila. And it's very, very powerful, very, very deep. And I think it's the first chapter, or one of the earliest chapters he has in the book is all about Hachana. During Corona at one point, me and one of my children, uh, Yosef, we actually had a Harusa in my house during Corona when everyone, you know, their first wave when everyone was isolated for weeks, we didn't leave the house. So he and I learned this chapter together at the time. So when I pulled it off the shelf last night, I was, you know, brought me back fond memories as I saw my various underlining and little notes from my Harusa with my son. And we had learned this together. And he makes the following point just above the obvious that we already saw from the Rambam, how even that 30 seconds or a minute before you dive in, how important it is, he has a very powerful chiddush. I can't be sure that he's right, but it's worth contemplating because it's really, really powerful. So he says in source uh, number 11, he tries to prove it. Again, I didn't give you all the sources and stuff that he tries to prove it with. Suffice to say, it's, it's not obvious that he's right, but he does make a very good case. He says, everything that we had said is fine. He says, but I think there's actually a deeper point, something which we haven't mentioned, which is, not only is hachana important on a practical level, but more than that, he says, where it's underlined. Says the reality is not when you're davening, but in your hachana, in your preparation for davening, that's actually where you're going to feel close to Hashem. Right? We all want that feeling, right? That's we're all striving for that. Right? There are people in the world who don't care about that, but not the people listening to this year. Everyone want in, in in our world, Unzra, we all want that. But it's hard. It's hard. Of course it's hard. So it says Ropinkis, the key to that is not how you daven. You'll get to, to pick that up why you daven is much less likely. The real key is to get that in where you can get that is in the hachana. He says, Misha mitpalel, therefore, as a result, below hachana, here's the really powerful, potentially depressing, uh, but hopefully motivating point that he makes. Somebody who davens without hachana, Says, Hashem is everywhere, right? But for Hashem, but, but where he's not, unless I put him there, it's in my heart. So, am I talking to someone who's listening or not? Is there someone actually on the other line? So, he says, it's not axiomatic that Hashem's listening. First, Hashem has to be there to hear you. Where does that happen? You have to create that little private moment between you and Hashem. That happens in the Hachana. So if you don't do the hachana, then there's a good chance you might be pouring out your heart and there's nobody there. That's what hachana does. The hayisod bezehu, the tefillah he kavayachol sicha, he dabrut krova, it's very beautiful, right? What is davening? What's the essence of davening? I spoke about this uh, in the Shabbos morning drasha, for those who were in shul this past Shabbos. Um, I spoke about this exact point, not from this source, but I was making this point in general about tefillah. Um, that he says beautifully, the davening is... It's not a mitzvah. If you just call it a mitzvah, you've totally missed what davening is. Davening is an intimate conversation with Hashem. It's communication, an intimate, krova. And he says here, you know, as we all know, what's the klal behidabrut ben shnaim? What's the classic rule in all communication? Right? 
in love, in war, and in almost any human relationship, it takes two to tango. Right? You want to talk, but if the other person is not listening, it don't matter. It, it takes two, he says. And therefore, you need both. So too with Tila, he says, someone who's running on a high madrega, someone who's coming to davening, not out of rote, and not out of this, but out of really desire to talk to God. How do you know he's listening? Maybe he's distracted. Maybe he has something else to do. So what's the antidote to that, says Repinkis? That's what the Rambam meant. That's what the Gemara meant. That's what Hachana does. Hachana is orienting ourselves. Again, I really think, especially if we do this regularly, it can happen in a very short amount of time. Again, Halavah, you have more time, but if you have 30 seconds or a minute. Because since Hashem really, really is close... Again, it's a tremendous paradox, you know, and uh, imminence versus distance is like the, going back thousands of years, the most classic theological question in all of human history. You know, am I close to God? Am I far from God? What's even, is it better to be far from God because that shows how awesome he is? Is he intimate like my best friend? These are massively complex philosophical points, but we don't need to get into any of that. Because at the end of the day, we really believe that Hashem is close, as long as I open up my heart and my eyes. And if I do that, and again, the point of the Rambam, and he's stressing it even more, is that it happens as much, if not more so, in the moments before we daven. Right? Once we're busy davening, we're busy davening. But first you have to invite someone, right? You, you, again, the, 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 if you live in our neighborhood and you try to call someone on your cell phone, so we know what the, we're trying to... Right? Hello? You there? I lost you. Every, every conversation I have on WhatsApp calls. Of course, I don't have a cell service in this neighborhood, of course. So it used to be, I don't know, for you, I don't know about you, the first two plus years we lived in the neighborhood, WhatsApp, web, WhatsApp calls were great for me. The last few months, it's like 50% of the time, they can, hello, you, you're going in and out. What? What? Is anybody there? You know, or you have the conversation, like, you know, sometimes, at least with Gottlieb's, we like to talk. So like, what, it could be, I'm on the receiving or something's on the giving. Someone's talking for a minute and then you realize, that no one's been on the phone? They, you know, they, the call dropped a minute ago, and you're done. So and we all know what that's like. So you could, again, imagine, says Rapinkus, again, he's scaring us a little bit. You know, and this is not a negative, I don't think, scary sheer, but like, you know, for 30 seconds, we can be a little negative and scary. He says, imagine you actually have what you think is a great davening. Not the usual, I'm rushed and I'm this. I'm Amish. And it turns out no one was there. You poured your heart out. Whoever's on the other end of the line, you made that embarrassing apology. Or you were vulnerable. And why aren't you saying anything? Because <laughs> no one's there, right? It would be funny. It wouldn't be so sad. Could you imagine if that's in tefillah? Okay, none of us really know, and I don't think Rapinkus, with all due respect, knows either, with certainty, what's happening or not happening up there. But he makes a very, very powerful case that in order for davening to really be effective, Hachana doesn't just pragmatically help us have more kavana, which I think is the, the, the basic point I was trying to make. There's a deeper point, which is that that extra hachana will also make sure there's actually somebody of, on the other end. And, you know, what a chaval that would be the case. Yes, Shoshana. So it's better to speak out on a lot of doubting once they just say, than and have Again, to say like everything, but not have. So the, 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 the long answer is that we really have to have at some point one or two shurim on all the halachos of, I mean, much of it would be similar for men, but some of it might be unique for women about when you have limited time, what do you skip and how do you do that stuff? That's the long answer. The short answer is 100% correct. Less is definitely more. Less with kavana is much more important than, more, than a lot with no kavana. There's no question about that. That I could say, but what the specifics are, so that we'd have to get more into details. But yes, if you 100%, much better. Um, I once heard also from Ray Reisman many years ago, uh, this is a little bit sarcastic, and you don't imagine usually sar- sarcasm with Ramosha Feinstein, because Ramosha was like a tumim, you know, he was a tzaddik. Um, a lot of tzaddikim, but certain tzaddikim are more down to earth. Ramosha was like closer to the malach type of a tzaddik. But uh, Rabbi Reisman once said that they had a, a dilemma in the yeshiva, they were, wanted to say tehillim for somebody. Maybe it was a student who was sick, or maybe the parent of a student was sick. But in yeshiva, if you're saying tehillim in the base matters, that means you're not learning. It's not at the expense of nothing, it's the expense of Torah. So how should they balance the shikul of learning versus tehillim? So he said, they asked Rav Moshe Feinstein this question, this is you know, decades ago in Tarvadas. He said that Rav Moshe said to him, a little with no kavana, a little with no kavana is better than a lot with no kavana. 
That's, a, that's not what I had said before. This is, that was Rav Moshe's sarcastic twist on it. I was saying a little with kavana is better than a lot with no kavana. Rav Moshe was saying, listen, let's be honest. These Shiva guys are going to have so much kavana anyway. So a little with no kavana is better than a lot with no kavana. Anyway, I, I was really surprised to hear that Rav Moshe would have said. I mean, there are other gedolim who I could imagine being that sharp, uh, you know, and that sarcastic. But that was not usually Rav Moshe's personality. But anyway, but I think in our case, you know, if we, we again, it's, it goes back to attention span, or it just goes back to distractions and things going on in the house or at the office. Sometimes there are people who you know go to work first and are grabbing ten minutes in the office to daven. There are people who are davening at home. So it's not, sometimes it's a matter of time, and sometimes it's even if I had all the time in the world, I just don't concentrate for that long. So it's much, much better to say in whatever minutes you know you can do, tov ma'at im kavana from Harbe with lo kavana. Okay, next, let's keep on going. Please, I'm sorry. That's a incredibly important question, um, and I would say that probably should be a one, you know, a family by family, person by person question. But I will tell you, just to give you some chizuk, one of my own children years ago made that argument to us, and I actually brought him to the Rosh of Gosh to Rav Moshe Lichtenstein when he was in elementary school to ask that shaila. A person feels that they can daven better by not going to shul is, you know, going to minion, is that appropriate or not? And if so, when? And that, I think, the answer might be yes, but that's a too complicated of a question to answer al regal achat, and it's not a one-size-fits-all answer anyway. Yeah? Um, you said that Rabbi Pinkus has a chapter on hachana, and that we should be doing hachana, and obviously the, the stuff I can think of in my head, but are you going to give us any tips of maybe how we could do uh, some uh, ideas for hachana? Or I'm probably, I, I mean... More than what I had already said, I wasn't planning on it because I got four or five other things I want to share with you which are different than the Hachana thing. So what's the best way to do Hachana? We should probably talk about it. You're right. Uh, but I, I wanted to get to some other, other points. But again, I, I think, I'll go back to what I quoted earlier from the Sefer Hasidim. Um, I don't know that there's a right way and a wrong way. Meaning, I, I think just pausing, you know, in, in I think in social psychology or in other fields now, they use the term margin. Again, those of us who are busy, you know, who have kids at home and busy jobs, and like, we don't have enough margin in our life. Margin is that space or that time in which we can actually just be. Then we have to decide how we want to use that time, but most of us don't even have the time to then think about it. So creating a little margin in our life, you know, one of the things I have to do, I have, the, I have 100 things to do in, in the day, one of them is daven. So if, again, you're already like better than most people if it's on your to-do list. And you actually do it, because a lot of people don't do it. But if we want to make it really meaningful and good and powerful, I think if we could add a little margin, just even the 30 seconds, even if you thought nothing, you just paused, I think it would actually help. If you think, you know, certain things you could think about. What I, again, I, the advice I gave, again, the only thing I gave so far, just to review, I did give a little bit of advice, which is think about, A, wow, I'm so lucky I'm about to daven, and B, think about the kind of things you might want to be asking for. Right? And we saw this a little bit last week, and we'll mention it, I hope, time for many at the end of today's year as well. Um, those should probably change from day to day or week to week or month to month, if we're being real. Again, if you have somebody who has an extended illness or extended Parnassa problems, or the fact that you're always davening for the success of our children, in that sense, yes, that'll be consistent. But the reality is, even in those three things, let alone other less important areas of our life, it's never the same every day or every week. Right? Sometimes uh, the money is better. Sometimes the money is not as good. Sometimes the marriage is better. Sometimes the marriage is not as good. Sometimes the children are better. Sometimes, sometimes the, and as we all know, when you're dealing with one child who's having struggles, and the second that child finds his or her footing, what's guaranteed to happen? A different child. Right? It just, this is the, this is, this is the, this is the gift Hashem gave us. So it's not just the generic, I daven for my children. That's true. That might be every day of your life from the moment you become a parent till the day you die. But exactly what you're davening for and which child you're thinking about more or less, that's, you know, if you're being authentic in your tefillah, that's for sure going to change from a day-to-day basis. Uh, and all the different things. So even if you just um, think about the 30 seconds, okay, you know, I've got a daven today, and, uh, you know, or for that matter, even it could be something, again, it could also be the small things. I have this important meeting today, or I, I'm about to go to work, and I have this thing. Little things, you know, I hope this should go well. I think I may have said to you, or I've definitely said it to the men at some point, uh, sometimes before something, you know, big will happen, you know, I'll, 15 seconds, a little tefillah, Hashem, hopefully this will be successful, and if not, please give me the chizuk to deal with the disappointment, if it's not. Right? Just, just something like that, I think all of a sudden the daven will be different. I mean, there might be better ideas, but that's what's off the top of my head. Yeah? Is daven supposed to be just like, 
Asking, should it also be like Hakara Tato? 100%. So, again, we, yes. Yes, so the answer is we. No, not if it, I think it should be whatever would help you have more Kavana. But I think gr- gratitude is a huge thing. Huge, huge, huge thing. I actually gave that as a shir in Yeshiva this week to the boys. Um, of the importance, and I think I'd given it here. I think we had a woman's shir on this earlier in the year about the importance of gratitude in general. And gratitude is a part of davening. That's, that's the, la- the last three brachas of Shemon are the hodar, the thank you. But all of davening is one big thank you. It certainly can be. Yeah, but, but bakasha is the big thing in the middle. And the essence of davening is our vulnerability and our dependence on our Shem. I think that is the essence of davening. But akar satov is absolutely. When I talked about before about the privilege of davening, it's another way of saying I appreciate Hashem in my life and appreciate one of the things I appreciate is the ability to daven. But that's 100%. Again, I don't think you have to make that part of your achana though. I think what you should make as part of your achana is whatever's going to help you focus more on your davening. So I think for most of us, the bakasha thing will grab our heart more. But it doesn't have to be. Anything that would work, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the achana, is a good thing. Okay? Let's try to see if we can get a few more of these done uh, before the shear ends because we're going to run out of time soon. Um, and that is... Keep on turning the page. We're up to source number twelve now, um, and that is something I think also really. Again, we could spend you know each one of these things could be uh, much more time. But if you look at twelve and thirteen, um, I think the shulchan aruch here is specifically uh, dealing with the fact that we often have distractions. If you go back to the Rambam, even again that we had seen at the end of the last page, the first thing the Rambam had said: Right, clear your mind. So that's mentally, intellectually, try to get rid of the distractions. But also, it can be even physically. You know, if there are things you know, around, you know, I would say, to translate into 2022, don't be near your phone. Right? This is the single biggest distractor for all of us. Right? Do something to remove the distractions. So the Shulchan Aruch just gives an example of this, I think, which is, in, it's very similar to what we were mentioning before. Shulchan Aruch is quoting a Gemara that says, He's talking about, in th- literally going into shul, but I don't think it has to be limited to shul, that a person should just go into shul and daven in that spot, but they should enter a certain distance, it sounds like. Certain, two, a double measure of a certain distance. So the Shulchan Aruch actually quotes different interpretations. One interpretation is that you shouldn't daven in the back of shul. Like literally, it means physically, don't go into the shul, don't be that guy or gal who is sitting in the back of shul, because that sounds like, it gives you off the impression. It doesn't mean if you got to shul, the only seat left was the last seat, you did anything wrong. It means, don't be that kind of person who gives off the impression like you'd rather not be there, right? You know, you, like sometimes we have things in life, you know, like, you know, some, one of those, you know, programs at school, you know, they're going to be going for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, like Kamina Gareth Yisrael, those never-ending school things. So you want to, it's very important, get a seat near the door. Because you want to be able to book out, you know, when you need to, right? So says one interpretation of the Shulchan Aruch is don't be that, don't go to shul like that. Don't look like you're already looking at the door, you know. That's but that that's not the one I want to make. The next thing the Shulchan Aruch says, source number twelve is The second you go into shul, you know, you, what's wrong with davening right away? Well, should I be talking to my friends? No, he doesn't mean that. But says the Mishnah Brewer explaining it. If you just wait a minute. Clear your mind, be calm, be able to be focused, and then you could have with Kavana. Because you dive in right away, you will not be able to have a settled mind. So, in this sense, again, it's very similar, if not identical, to the previous point about Achana, but it's just taking it from a slightly different angle. And again, I don't think this is limited to Shul, although it is relevant for those of us who come to Shul. But even when we're that moment where we Let's say, say, pick up the sitter, don't daven right away. Take a pause right then, just to settle our mind. Again, if we can think certain positive and specific thoughts which really help us focus, matohu manaim. But even if you think nothing, it just, everyone needs a little, you know, d- you know, dazing and a little, you know, dream time. Just let your mind float, even for 30 seconds. That's what this Shulchan Aruch is saying. Don't daven right away when you, take a moment just to let your mind settle. 14 and 15, very, very important. And this, I think, is, it was a chiddush to me. I had really forgotten this point, I think, until I saw this again last night, which is the idea of makam kavua. So we usually think of, we're taught to think of makam kavua as a role in shul. And that's true. But if you look at the Shulchan Aruch on source number 14, it's clear it's not limited to shul. Says the Shulchan Aruch, source number 14, yikaveh makom l'tfilah. So, 
And you, you know, should have a set place to daven, and you shouldn't change it for no reason, and, and not randomly. Then the Shulchan Aruch says, "The ain't die b'mashi kavalo beta knesset palel elagaba beta knesset shikavua botzar shibol l'makom kavua." It's clear in the Shulchan Aruch. There's two separate points. One is in shul having a makom kavua, and the other is having a specific makom kavua even beyond that. Now he also makes the point, which is incredibly important in today's modern age: you shouldn't be a shul hopper. You should have a Beit Knesset Kavua. He says it explicitly. You should have a Beit Knesset Kavua. But lo die. It's not enough to have a Beit Knesset Kavua. You should try to have a Makam Kavua in the Beit Knesset. It says the Mishnah Bura, excuse me, the uh, yeah, Mishnah Bura, number 15. The Gam Kishim is Palel Bebeso. It's not limited to Shul. And again, you, you could find certain Kedusha, mystical ideas, which is what the Shacharach is describing. You know, that if there's a place where so many people, you or so many people, are constantly davening, that gives a certain Kedusha to the place. Remember years ago, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but like, I, I only came across this, I think it was already Rabbi in Baltimore. Historians, archaeologists, others, there's a lot of, have raised very, very legitimate and serious questions of whether Rachel is really buried where we call Kever Rachel. The fact that that's modern Beit Lechem doesn't mean that was Beit Lechem of the Torah. It's not clear. That's very deflating the first time you hear that. Because for many of us, including me, it's, I think it's a, that can even be more powerful than Davin at the Kotel. Um, but what I heard, I think, I think it was Rabbi Howard who told me I was on a trip with him in Israel at the time. Anyway, but it's, even if, if, first of all, maybe it is, maybe it is Ruchel's death. Who said not? No one really knows. But even if it's not, it's the place for hundreds of years that thousands of probably by now millions of Jews have thought Rachel was, and they daven there, even if she's not there. The very fact that that many Jews come over so many years just to pour out their heart, that gives it as much, if not more, Kadusha than Rachel being there. So in a much more, quiet, less dramatic way, that's also true about where we daven. But here I think, again, I'm trying to be very practical, not so high in the sky. It's just like the margin, or just like the moment of hachana for 30 seconds. Having a set place to daven is a tr- subconscious trigger. I'm actually reading a book, I've gotten not far at all, but it's a huge bestseller, a non-fiction bestseller, all about how to develop proper habits, it's called Atomic Habits. Somebody I really respect, a doctor uh, who's not in Beit had said to me, like, the book changed his life. And then when I went on Amazon, I'm like, it's a nonfiction book, and in a few years it's already sold over 3 million copies. Right? That's like, it's, it's not a cookbook either. Like, it's a, it's a serious book. Like, to be that successful, like, clear, so anyways, I got it, and I'm middle reading it, it's great. And one of the themes, even in the first 30 pages of the book, is how when we do things, you know, repetitively, it creates certain subconscious uh, triggers, and it's really about systems, not goals. Again, I'm not going to give you a whole shear now on the book. But one of the things that he talks about, and it's clearly, I think, what the Shacharach was describing too, I think the Shacharach realized this, is if we have a certain place where that's the davening place, your davening will be better. If you could ju- Again, I'm not, it could be your kitchen, it could be your living room, it could be your bedroom. I'm not even just know what's the best place to daven. But if we find, if there's a place where we daven every day, then subconsciously, the second we get to that place in the morning we're already going to be in a bit different mindset than if we, every day is a different place. I think that's a very, very important point as well. Uh, if you'll indulge me, let's try to just do a little bit more because I think there's so many more good things to do. Source number 16. Aruch HaShulchan talks about the importance of davening from a sitter. Also a very, very uh, common uh, issue that people should think about. Now he, he points out, and I think this is very important, I think it says that certain people daven better when they close their eyes. Now I don't think that many people daven to get a zimra and stuff like without a sitter. Shimon Esrei, most of us already knew, do know by heart. So, is it better to daven for a sitter than daven with your eyes closed? Says the Aruch HaShulchan, different people daven better different ways. The only thing everyone agrees upon is your eyes open, but not in a sitter is the worst. And you're just staring around, which is the most common the way people daven. So if you daven from a sitter, great. Again, there's so many stories of Gedoli, Gedoli Olam with the biggest Shlomo and Orbach, making a Kabbalah, I'm going to bench from a bencher. Like, it, it doesn't mean you're, intell- you're an intellectual inferior because you only use a sitter or a bencher. Rabbi Willig will never do anything without a bencher or a sitter. Or Shechter, anything with a bencher or a sitter. It's not about how smart you are. For a lot of people, by able to look inside, it helps you focus. And other people, closing your eyes helps you focus. But one of those things, I think, is fine. Source number 17, very quickly, the Yosef Omez just speaks about it in very, very powerful ways. Um, and this is maybe the most obvious one, and this one will take work. Uh, but understanding what you're davening. Now that means maybe buying a Hebrew English sitter, a translated sitter, or spending time before davening studying. But he, you know, he just again he makes the point, which is very powerful the way he makes it. But obviously, you know, could you imagine? He says, asking Hashem for forgiveness, and you don't even know what you're saying when you're asking. 
Like, you need to do another kapara for that. Like, who talks? Again, you imagine talking to someone, not just that you weren't paying attention to what you were saying, you didn't know what the words meant. What kind of conversation is that? What kind of, what kind of, so working on understanding the basics of davening is very, very important. 18 and 19, speak about shuckling. Now, I think shuckling, you know, can get a bad rap sometimes, especially if you remember that girl in seminary who threw her back out, you know, when it was like in yoga every day because they were shuckling so hard and it's only true in the boys' yeshivas, but I think it's also very often true with uh, girls with lots of kavana. Uh, and sometimes it just lo- does look humorous. Um, and there could be, there's such a thing as overdoing it. But the, be- the but it's not just, uh, some of the Mepharshim talk about tamarna, that by shuckling we're putting our whole body into it. And there's a certain almost hashkafak or mystical point. I think that's true. But the other benefit of shuckling is davening is hard because where's God? He's abstract. We need to, the, the, as many senses as we can bring to davening will help us improve. That's why, for example, in the, some benefits of davening in a house. You can daven out loud. You're not going to disturb anybody. Right? Be more audible. Moving our body. Anything that we can do, to, any, the more things we can bring into it, can help, can help kavana. But again, the Mishabura points out, for certain people, standing still at attention gives them more kavana. There's no right way, there's no wrong way, but shuckling or figuring out what your right posture is for davening uh, can make a huge difference. And last but not least, source number 20, which was, we mentioned last week also, is the, the idea of being mecharish things. Your davening shouldn't be the same every day, right? That's the real answer to, but it's so hard to say the same thing every day. Why are you saying the same thing every day? Yes, the Shemon Esri might be the same, or others might be the same, but you can add personal bakashot. You have nothing you want to ask for? Sometimes what you want to ask for fits perfectly into one of the brachos, and sometimes it might seem like it's its category in itself. There are all sorts of ways, again, we can discuss at a future time. I alluded to this last week. Shmakoleinu, Elkainetzor, in each bracha. There are ways to do it. And some of you may even know all that already. But the point is that you should, if you would personalize tefillos, if you add things, so then it will certainly give you a, a greater sense. Not only because that 15 seconds you'll have kavana when you're you know, davening for Bubby or you're davening for whatever you're davening for, but as I said last week, and I'm absolutely convinced of it, if you have those moments of personal and uh, subjective davening, it'll have a spillover effect, and the whole davening will be better. So I hope I gave you a lot to think about. That was the point. And as I, I hope even one of these you can try to incorporate in your life. Uh, and certainly if you can incorporate multiple of them, I think the term they now use is stacking. If you can stack multiple things, you know, I think it could have really uh, exponential benefit. And uh, your family, and really all of us, need your tefillos. So hopefully we can all do a better job and uh, improve for our, for our sakes and for Kalei Yisrael's sake.